it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to be joined by David Harsani uh, shortly. He's a great writer, columnist. Uh, He talked about uh, what's going on with the media blackout of the Durham revelations, which I'm about to tell you and update you on. Also, the ugly... Uh, vilification of freedom. That is the new bud. That's the new F word up in Canada. You bring up freedom, it's a trigger. Just like all of a sudden the American flag is a trigger. What is going on in this country? Because when I see things going on in Canada, it's not far removed logistically, emotionally, and politically from America. We'll get into detail on that. And then we'll welcome in uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, running for governor of Texas. And we know Texas had a, a little visit from AOC. Said it's a matter of time. Before Texas goes blue. Really? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Continues to advance um, his readiness should he choose to go down a military uh, path here. Should he choose to invade again, he is doing all the things you would expect him to do to make sure he's ready for that option. Not really sure what that meant, but backing off. Many signs that Russia may not be quite ready to invade Ukraine just yet. The story behind the story is the administration evacuates the embassy in Kiev. Number two. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe. These tools include strengthening their ability to impose fines or imprisonment. I despise this guy, Justin Trudeau. Truckers under siege in Canada. Their rights have been suspended thanks to Justin Trudeau's terrible leadership and now his emergency orders. What it means for the restrictions and mandates. We're at the foundation of the protest. Now freedom seems to be the new trigger word around the globe. Number one. The conspirators, the co-conspirators, look what they have dragged our nation through for the last five years. The primary coast conspirators is the, is the mainstream media. Uh, I don't believe they were just simply duped. I think they are complicit in this. Really? Ron Johnson, who is a lone voice in the wind at some terror periods of time, along with Devin Nunes, saying there's a problem with this Russia story. It's the exact opposite that's being portrayed. Now he's getting, I guess, vindication. Dorm report rises. The New York Times and Washington Post scramble to debunk. We will sort through it all and see if Trump has an apology coming in from Leslie Stahl. Rodney Jaffe, probably don't hear that name before, but um, his name pops up in the latest court filing by John Durham. Why? Rodney Jaffe is an executive with a firm that had a contract, a Internet firm that had a contract with the executive branch of the government. And it turns out he had some students at Newstore, the company that he was uh, head of. And those students were mining data from Trump Tower and later on the White House to see if they could find or contrive any Russian connection with the future and once candidate President Trump. So 
if they were able to get some of that tech information, bring it forward, give it to some Hillary Clinton operatives like Jake Sullivan, have them do a series of media appointments, leak to the press, you next thing you could know have these covert links between Trump, the president, the candidate, and the president-elect, and Russia, and destroy or try to destroy his four years of his presidency. Could that have actually happened? There's an excellent chance that's exactly where it's leading. To be clear, Sussman is the guy that's been indicted, one of the three. And this guy, Sussman, Jeff Sussman, is somebody that went up to the FBI's attorney and said, hey, guys, I got this information about Trump's ties to Russia. Now, I'm just a civilian. Yeah, I wear, I'm a Democrat, but I'm just a civilian. I'm not working for anybody. Here's some proof. Really? Where'd you get it? Don't worry about it. Here's some proof. So I got it from a tech firm. So the tech firm moves up, and they, and they show it. And next thing you know, it goes through the FBI. They start doing an investigation. What they didn't say, what Sussman never said, was that he worked for the Clinton campaign. It was put up to him by that. And right now, he's in indictment. And the question is, is he talking? So, And the question is, what is the information, the Russian information, that was contrived or mined out by Jaffe, Rodney Jaffe, an executive who had a contract with the executive branch of our government and was willing to give intelligence reportedly to a political operative or anybody. If you are if you are working for the White House and you're leakable and you're that compromised, who else are you leaking to, number one? And can you believe once he became president, they were still working to undermine him? So I just told you the scenario. Next thing you know, these so-called leaks are getting out to various intelligence services around the globe. And they're trying to scoop up all these Trump people. They go, Manafort's linked to Russia. Well, yeah, he worked there. And he worked in the Ukraine. And he worked for the Russian government because he left after the Nixon years and went got jobs overseas. You might see Dick Morris working in South and Central America. You might see various political operatives. You're pro here. You want it everywhere. The smallest election in Africa, the, the biggest election in Argentina. So Manafort was over there, worked for Trump for a month, and that was suddenly their Russian link. Paul Manafort, link, who has links to Russia. Yeah, of course, he worked there. And did he get some poll numbers and say, hey, guys, I got to tell you, Trump's got to win. Look at these polls. And I'm a person of influence, and I'll be close to him. Yeah, okay. So I had a, I had a, uh, I had a lot of great information, better information than I have in the Biden administration when I was there. It doesn't mean I'm corrupt. It means I got better intelligence to become to make my show better in order for you to get better information, to ask better questions on down the line. So was this a process? You get the information, then you got to get it out to people. You got to leak it to friendly members of the media, and then you got to go on shows and say it. March 2017, the name is Jake Sullivan. We're not talking about the Ukraine now. We're talking about Hillary Clinton, and we're talking about Donald Trump. 2017, he's President Trump, cut two. What we learned during the campaign was that very serious computer science experts, people who work closely uh, with the United States government, had uncovered this secret hotline between uh, the Alpha Bank, the, the Russian bank, and the Trump organization. Now, of course, we didn't know for sure if, in fact, that were the case, but we knew that it should be investigated. And we knew that given how serious these computer scientists were, they weren't just making up crackpot theories. So it wasn't surprising to learn that even as of last week, the FBI is still looking into this. And do you have any idea what they're, what they're looking for? I don't. Uh, of course, I don't have a line into the FBI on this, but what I know based on public reporting 
is that there is very unusual server activity between this Russian bank and the Trump organization, which suggests contact that took place over the course of the campaign. Really? So he's just concerned. He's concerned that Donald Trump, who beat his butt and Hillary Clinton significantly to win an election, just concerned about ties to Russia. Did Russia put him in office? We know he did. We know the ties weren't there. But let's just run with that to screw up our country. When you screw up the president, you screw up the country. It's not commenting on how he's doing and different policies. Go ahead and do that. That's our whole democracy. But to undermine it is unbelievable. And it didn't get past Adam Schiff. Remember this, cut four. There's this ample evidence of collusion uh, of the campaign, and it's very much in the public record. Have you seen, do you have direct evidence of collusion with Russia? Well, I think there is direct evidence. And there is significant evidence of collusion, and we've set that out uh, time and time again. No, you didn't. You made it up time and time again. Adam Schiff should be, Jake Sullivan should be suspended and eventually fired. And this guy, Adam Schiff, is so diminished for any clear-thinking person that for anyone to listen to a word that comes out of his mouth is really doing him an injustice. And if you talk about suspending doing American injustice, if you talked about suspending somebody uh, when you get you want to get rid of Boebert and you want to get rid of others. When the Republicans take charge of the House, if in fact they do, they should say Adam Schiff can't be trusted. The guy's a nonstop leaker and we know he's he uh, he revels in fiction as it goes to undermine Donald Trump or any Republican. So. Outside Adam Kinzinger. When we come back, David Harsani talks about this. And the fact is, I think this morning, uh, Morning Joe talked about it. But besides that, only one network talked about it. It was CNN for two minutes and 30 seconds and basically debunked what, what I just told you that John Durham's working on. Keep him on the Washington Post and New York Times took this story on today and tried to debunk it. But if you understand the facts, understand the facts and then read the column, you know it's a huge reach. They're going to have to come around, just like they're coming around now in the Hunter Biden story. So, David Arsani, then we'll turn to Colonel Alan West. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. There's no real evidence of that. Of course there is. It's all over the place. Donald Trump and William Barr promised that Durham would expose huge corruption, but he hasn't done that. It's apparently an ongoing, concerted Republican and pro-Trump project to try to turn the investigation of the Russia scandal into some kind of scandal itself.
Well, that is some of the people who just kind of was smugly saying there's nothing there. It was Donald Trump that colluded with Russia and got away with it, even though Mueller found nothing. Not only did he not get away with it and did he not get away with doing something wrong, he did nothing wrong. In fact, he was set up. And then more and more evidence comes out that John Durham's investigating. It looks like it was a coordinated effort to trump up, pun intended, some type of Russian collusion by working with a cyber firm that had a contract with the executive branch. And they used that contract for access and they used that, uh, that contract to mine data coming out of Trump Tower and the White House once he became president. David Harsani is watching these developments along with me. Uh, he joins us now, senior writer for the National Review and syndicated columnist for the New York Post. David, welcome. What do you take of the lack of coverage of, at the very least, a very intriguing, impactful dorm investigation? Well, I mean, I think we, we, we both know that it was expected to happen this way once news came out. But uh, the problem, I think, is that many of the people in the media should be covering this story were complicit in spreading the Russia collusion stuff, and now they're part of the part of the uh, you know conspiracy in a way. I'm not saying that they traded notes, but I'm saying that they had the same goals in mind, and that was to frame the president as some kind of Russian spy, which was a, incredibly. Looking back now, it's just even then, frankly, but it's just incredibly ridiculous thing to believe, and yet they fooled. Supposedly, they fooled law enforcement agencies, the entire media, and a, and a bunch of you know, and a big chunk of the country. They did, and uh, essentially not get people lost in minutia. This tech firm, uh, this tech firm was actually using their access and their contract to do something political. Now, the Washington Post, and that is get information on Donald Trump, the the candidate, the president elect, and the president. Now, you watch, look at the Washington Post and New York Times. They both said, oh, this is old stuff. We knew this already or it never really happened. Fox News and New York Post have jumped at conclusions. That I didn't expect. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think they're just basically shielding themselves from criticism in a way. I mean, you would think the journalists would be really interested in looking into this kind of abuse of power. I mean, this is you remember before Trump, you know, they were always talking about NSA spying and spying on people and looking at their servers. And literally here you have a major political party teaming up with, you know, corporate entities to spy on candidates and the government and the White House. It's like a shadow government, basically. And yet, you know, they're not writing about it. I mean, I hate the cliche, you know, this is worse than Watergate, but this like actually is worse than Watergate and or could be potentially. And no one seems to care in, the, in, in the, any of the main outlets that were, by the way, obsessive about like Robert Mueller. I mean, they were like you know, they had teams of reporters on that. Every time he coughed, we heard about it. And yet nothing, nothing real on this. So uh, do you think that uh, Durham's moving too slow in some respects? I don't think we should jump to that conclusion. I mean, I think being meticulous about this is a good thing, and he seems like he's really going, you know, going step by step, and, and uh, I think that's a good thing. I don't think we should be, you know, for our edification, trying to – not that he would listen, but trying to rush someone to get to, get to the answers. I think he, he's doing a, the job the right way. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, maybe before the next election would certainly help. Uh, David, you also wrote about Afghanistan. So outrageous that this Gabby, uh, this Abigate investigation was never the president of the United States. They couldn't even get in to brief him. They just have no interest. So when the Washington Post does a FOIA uh, request and gets a 2000 page document, they write a story and they talk about all the mistakes made. And the mistakes were the State Department and executive branch didn't want to hear all the warnings from the from the military, which had its own problems, that this is getting really bad. They're not going to be able to hold Kabul. The president outright rejected a study that I found out over the weekend he never even got briefed on directly or indirectly. You write that it's even worse. What do you mean? 
Well, it's complicated, but there are a lot. There's a lot of new evidence that's come out in the last few weeks. Uh, reports, FOIA, you know, uh, documents, and, and, and other things, and uh, you know, just investigations that show that there were at least, I think, I counted six separate. Um, either warnings by not, not some low-level staffers, but you're talking about you know, commanders and generals, uh, that, uh, that, that what Biden was doing was going to put American troops and civilians, you know, allies of Americans, in danger. And yet he ignored all that. And the only, only thing we can conclude from all this is that it was politically motivated. He thought getting out of Afghanistan, which is popular, would be a slam dunk. And he wanted to do it quickly, and he wanted to do it early in his term. And it has turned into an incredible disaster. We still don't know how many Americans are stuck in Afghanistan, but it's probably in the thousands. The other thing, he uh, in response, he said, there's going to be Obama. It's got to get out. We've got to get out of Kabul. Got to get out of Kabul. Providing the security for the Kabul airport, we got, can't forget, was the Taliban, which is the worst. I mean, I could not believe the scenario. And then when a bomb hits, 13 die. Our response is to kill the, the terrorists, and we said we got him. There was even a secondary explosion, according to Mark Milley, which shows the car was going to be a car bomb, right? Turns out we killed an innocent person and his family that was doing work for us over the last few years in Afghanistan. I mean, you can't have a bigger disaster than this. Well, you can when you think about the other part of the story, that, that the terrorists probably used a route that the Americans knew or that people on the ground were told was dangerous, and officials kept handing out maps to people and telling them to use those routes, even though they were not protected. And that's probably how the terrorists got close to the 13 American soldiers and whatever it was, 170 Afghan citizens that they killed. And then, um, you know, after this bombing that you just talked about, they pretended like, you know, they gave us all this evidence that could not have existed, secondary explosions, et cetera. And they said it was righteous. Uh, and, and they didn't kill anyone. You know, they killed. I'm sorry, they killed a family, but they didn't kill anyone associated with the terror bombing. So this is this should be a massive scandal on its own. It is a massive scandal. Lastly, what about freedom up in Canada? We are now watching Justin Trudeau do this. Cut 16. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. They're going to be able to they're going to be able to jail people, uh, freeze their bank accounts, stop them from working, revoke their citizenship because they are peacefully demonstrating the lockdowns and the mandates. How did we get here? Well, I mean, the guy is a complete authoritarian. The the things that they do up there, I can't you know, I'm no Canada expert, but I can't even believe are, are, are permissible, like like taking people's money when they when they donate to a cause from a through a company. I mean, this is just freezing assets. This is just incredible. I mean, I, I think uh, if any country should be invaded by us, it's probably be Canada. We need to free those people. You think it comes here? I'm sorry? Do you think the oh, Canada... Does it come here? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of people here who would like to see that kind of power. I mean, we saw that kind of power initially when governors were just shutting down churches, you know, completely unconstitutional, trying to mandate vaccines. Um, but I think we've come to our senses relatively quickly, and uh, the government sort of has now, you know, it's kind of melted away in a, because the polling is so horrible for Democrats. But, I, you know, in Canada, he doesn't care about that. His Good. polling's terrible, too, and yet he's actually, you know, doubling down on this kind of thing. Yeah, he's a disgrace. David Harsani, thanks so much. Always great hearing from you, reading your columns. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is next. The Truth About Texas. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Texas turning blue is inevitable. 
inevitable. It will happen. The only question is when. Right, she's got such a voice. It's so soothing uh, and reassuring. That is AOC in Texas trying to primary Cong- a Democratic congressman named Henry Cuellar, who had the audacity to want to clamp down on illegal immigration in his city, and he's Hispanic. Uh, so they're primarying him because he's this horrible thing called moderate. But does she understand Texas? Does a congresswoman from Queens understand Texas? Let's ask someone that uh, lives there, wants to be the next governor there. He is uh, Colonel Allen West. Colonel, is it inevitable? I got to tell you something, Brian. You just really uh, shattered my eardrums with playing that clip in my ear this early in the morning. But it is it is not inevitable. And the thing that this uh, AOC must understand is that in the state of Texas, Joe Biden's approval rating with the Hispanic community is somewhere between 30 and 35 percent. If she thinks that some progressive socialist open border agenda uh, leftist is going to you know, be successful in the Rio Grande River and then and in the valley. She's delusional. Matter of fact, when you look at what has happened since November 2020, the Hispanic community down the river uh, area has completely flipped. Uh, you know, Zapata County, first time Republican in 100 years. You've got two outstanding young Latina fee, uh, candidates running for Congress down in the Rio Grande Valley. So uh, she is way off track, and uh, I think she's going to be severely disappointed. So even Beto O'Rourke, it's amazing. People think they have uh, short-term memory loss. He doesn't want to talk about taking your guns away. He doesn't want to talk about taking walls down. He doesn't want Joe Biden to even acknowledge that he's running for governor. I guess, has that eluded your uh, uh, knowledge? Yeah. I mean, no, it has not uh, escaped my uh, attention because what you see happening is that they're realizing that this far-left agenda is not successful for him. Even in Georgia, Stacey Abrams did not want to be uh, seen with Joe Biden, and the same thing here. But everyone knows that what Mr. Robert Francis O'Rourke is doing is the old bait-and-switch, and that's why you see all of these uh, blue state governors now all of a sudden trying to back away from uh, mass mandates. And look at the Super Bowl and how all those folks were there, all the the uh, the elites, Roger Goodell, all the players, LeBron James, none of them had a mask on, but yet they're still trying to say that our kids going to school need to need to be wearing masks. This thing is falling apart for for them. And again, uh, this this midterm election cycle is going to be a political Armageddon for the left. Senator Mitch McConnell also brought that up because we're desperately trying to get the masks off the kids and get these states open. Eleven governors have has some type of loosening of restrictions, not waiting for the White House. Among Democratic states, obviously, cut 23. Americans who watched the Super Bowl saw rich celebrities having a grand time with hardly a mask in sight. But under Democrats' policies, first graders who watched that big maskless party last night had to wake up this morning and cover their own faces in order to go to school. America's classrooms seem to be the last places where local, state, and federal Democrats will accept that cost-benefit calculations exist and zero transmission is simply not possible. And, but you're having problems in some liberal cities like Austin, right? They don't, want, they don't want to loosen up these restrictions on kids. 
No, you're absolutely right. And the other thing about Austin, Texas, is the number three uh, city in the United States of America for an increase of homicides. And guess what? Uh, a couple of years ago, they decided to defund their police, and so that's something that the left is still embracing. So Austin is a very dangerous city. Houston is a very dangerous city because of the murders that are there. But again, you know, you're starting to see this thing that reminds you of the old Hunger Games, where you had the capital, the big city, and you know there was a certain way for the elite. And then everybody else were out in the districts, and they had to live under the tyranny of the folks that lived in the capital. And I think that's why you see what's happening up there in uh, in Canada with these truckers saying, you know, enough's enough. And you're going to see that happening here in the United States of America. As a, as a matter of fact, I think the convoy is starting out from uh, out in Bakersfield, California, heading east. Uh, heading east to probably ring around Washington, D.C. And a lot of the disdain, it's amazing. You have a lot of people who are taking the side of the Canadian government, even though these are truck drivers delivering your food and supplies for the last two and a half years, and they don't want any, they don't want to raise, they don't want your love, they just want to be able to make their own decision when it comes to a vaccination, which, by the way, they are 80% vaccinated in Canada. We're at 74% uh, vaccinated right now. Uh, uh, 85 for people, uh, seniors, 80 and up, there's, they're almost 90% vaccinated, and we watched these cases across the country down 66% over the last two weeks. But they've made mm-hmm. this they've made this whole crackdown on freedom. Freedom is the new F word. Listen to Justin Trudeau, cut seventeen. We're entering the third week of illegal blockades that have been disrupting the lives of too many Canadians. Here in our capital city, families and small businesses have been enduring illegal obstruction of their neighborhoods, occupying streets, harassing people, breaking the law. This is not a peaceful protest. At the borders in different parts of the country, the blockades are harming our economy. Well, the problem is our reporters on the ground are seeing a totally different story. I mean, are there knuckleheads? I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any of them. The problem is blockading certain streets to get this, uh, the uh, president's attention or the prime minister's attention. Trudeau won't even talk to him. Yeah, I mean, this is a peaceful protest. It's the pure definition of a peaceful protest, unlike what we saw a couple of summers ago here in America where buildings were being set on fire and what have you. Uh, and, and this is the arrogance of officialdom that Justin Trudeau would rather just stand up there on high in what he declared his capital city and not get out there and talk to these men and women and ask them what their, their grievance is. I mean, that's one of the First Amendment rights that we have in our Constitution is the right to petition our government for grievances. And all they want to do is to be able to live their lives and do their job, but they don't want to be told they have to get a certain thing injected to their body. And so can he just simply say, you know what, you're right. You know, we've got 80 some odd percent of our country that has been vaccinated and we want to uh, once again have you free flow on the supplies so we can have a thriving and prosperous economy. So I was wrong on this and, and we're going to get rid of any type of mandates. But no, I mean, it's just about power and control. and That's where we are now. But his provinces, five, four of those provinces have condemned him for doing this as well as uh, Ontario with the, with the conservative governor, whatever they call them, uh, their leaders in the test says, listen, we're going to get rid of mandates in like a week. So this is, thing is coming to an end, but Justin Trudeau seems to want to do this emergency action and freeze a bunch of truckers' funds and put them yeah. in jail as if they're the problem. Lastly, 
We watched Vladimir Putin pull back a few thousand troops today, saying, well, they were done with their war games out of Belarus. We told you there's no imminent action. From what you hear, and for this administration's policy of telling you everything that's on their mind and all the intelligence that they allegedly pick up, what do you think Vladimir Putin's up to? Well, I think that once again, it's the threatening action, it's a, it's a feint or demonstration. That's the military terminology. And we've seen this before, back when uh, the uh, the leader in Kim Jong Il, anytime he wanted some concessions or he wanted some uh, funding from the United Nations or whomever, he started popping off rockets. He started making all of these hints and intonations about coming across the DMZ, and we give him money, and then he go away. So I think that Vladimir Putin, what he was trying to do, is to pressure and. Then and try to get concessions. I think, number one, he's threatening that he never wants to see Ukraine and to NATO and some other things. And he's trying to put an economic pressure on the folks there in Ukraine. So uh, you have to meet that with the full elements of national power, diplomatic, informational, and economic. And the military has to be a, a trump card because Ronald Reagan said peace through strength. So I think what should be happening is Joe Biden should lift the restrictions on our oil and gas industry here in America, and we should be flowing Oil, oil and gas over there to Eastern Europe so that you can undermine Vladimir Putin and his economy and his ability to have these massive uh, demonstrations. Could Texas be pumping more? Texas should be pumping more. And I tell you what, as governor of Texas, I absolutely will be doing that. Looking at these markets that we can open up to uh, export our oil and gas resources, uh, that's helping our economy here in Texas, helps the United States of America, and it helps our allies. I want you to hear Chris Christie on This Week with George Stephanopoulos talk about the conversations he had. For those people who say that it's a pandemic, we're always going to have inflation, which year over year is now at a staggering 9.7 percent. Listen to what he said. If President Biden would put aside his environmental agenda for a moment, if he wants to deal with inflation, I spoke to the governor of North Dakota two weeks ago. He is being forced by the Biden administration to keep 500,000 barrels of oil a day in the ground in North Dakota. If those 500,000 barrels of oil a day were allowed to be produced, two things would happen. It would help the price on gas, and two, we wouldn't have Joe Biden begging OPEC to increase. Look, if you're worried about global warming, you say, I want to keep the oil in the ground, whether the oil comes out of the ground in Saudi Arabia or North Dakota, it has the same effect on global warming. But Joe Biden doesn't want to do that inside America. He's being a hypocrite about it. Let North Dakota, let Pennsylvania, let Texas reach their quotas and have a greater supply. And I don't know, Anna, I took basic economics in college. Greater supply deals with this demand we have and will lower prices. So I know you're not going to push back on that, but can you believe 500,000 barrels in the ground? Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. I I was with one of the Texas Railroad uh, Commissioners and the Railroad Commission. They deal with uh, regulating the oil and gas industry here in Texas. And and we just had a huge uh, find out there. We've got 200 billion barrels of oil that's uh, underneath the ground. Uh, here in Texas. And so we should be capitalizing on that. And we're the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. So why do we have what's going on is going on? I don't know. But this is about pushing an ideological agenda that is not good for our country and it's not good for our national security, economic security, or energy security. Early, and I'm not gonna sit I'm not gonna sit back and let Biden dictate to us like that. Early voting starts? 
Early voting started yesterday on Valentine's Day. And as I told people, if you love Texas, get out and vote. And uh, we're seeing uh, people getting out and voting. I'm on the road heading down to Houston, and then I'll head over to Central Texas in the Hill Country later today. And when, uh, when does it end? Uh, the early voting will end on the 25th of February, and Election Day is the 1st of March. Okay. Uh, best of luck, uh, Colonel Allen West. And where do we go if people want to support you? Sure. You go to the website, west, the number 4, Texas.com. That's west4texas.com. All right. Uh, go get him, uh, Colonel. Best of luck. Thanks so much, Brian. God bless. And when we come back, uh, we'll expand on what's happening in the Ukraine and the new F word, freedom. We'll explain. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You used a phrase earlier in the midst of this. If we have a democracy 10 years from now, do you think we won't? I think there's a very real risk that we will not. I think what we risk is having a a government that perhaps postures as a democracy and may try to pretend that it is, but isn't. Right. Uh, That is AOC. This guy, David Remnick, who is a deep thinker for The New Yorker, but way to the left, is interviewing AOC like he's uh, 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 Albert Einstein— and George Will. I mean, it's she's got nothing to say. She actually says that Joe Biden's fault is he's used more executive orders. Really? Did you see the first hundred he did undermining everything that Trump did? He should have used more executive orders. You don't have a criticism of what he did in Afghanistan. Oh, and he said, well, the bipartisan infrastructure deal is good, but not really that good as compared to Build Back Better. But it's not his fault about Joe Manchin and uh, Kristen Cinema. That's why we're not going to have a democracy, because people don't agree with her. She goes, it's a uh, SH show, and she is trying to straighten it all out, and she's not getting discouraged. I, I don't understand how people uh, believe that she's got anything worthwhile to say. I mean, she's got a big presence on social media. It doesn't really do not, that much anymore. But in terms of crime, she actually says crime is directly linked to the child tax credit going away, and most of them is young men stealing baby formula for their kids. Really, baby formula at a Rite Aid, baby formula being thrown at a subway, baby formula like that guy that took uh, took off with 25 steaks. Was that really baby formula that looked like steaks? It is absolutely nuts that people actually look at her, but it's got to be scary in the heck out of uh, other Democrats. In fact, AOC claims the risk of democracy going away in 10 years is because, guess what? They really, we think, she thinks it's going to be reactionary politicians bringing back Jim Crow. Maybe a follow-up question is, what are you talking about? You have it already happening in Texas where Jim Crow-style disenfranchisement laws have already then proposed. You have members of the state legislature just a few months ago Flee the state in order to prevent such voting laws from being passed in Florida, where you have the entire state vote to allow people who were released from prison to be re-enfranchised after they've been served their debt to society. That's essentially being replaced by poll taxes and intimidations at the polls. Congratulations. I think it's Boston University of Boston College. She is all yours. So that's a big story. That's what David Remnick is talking about. 
But in terms of what the Durham report is in the few minutes I have left, just to give you an idea, I thought Steve Hilton broke it down very well because he's got this cyber background and social media expertise. He hosts a show, One Revolution, uh, on Sunday nights. Here's what he said of the new revelations come out of the Durham report, cut eight. Now we know, thanks to these documents, the factual background attached to a motion filed by special counsel John Durham as part of his indictment against former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, that the Clinton campaign paid a tech firm to, quote, mine Internet data to establish an inference, a narrative, tying then-candidate Trump to Russia. In Durham's words, this included, quote, non-public and or proprietary internet data. What does mining non-public and proprietary data mean? It means hacking. It means spying. And look at their targets, according to Durham. Quote, internet traffic pertaining to, one, a particular healthcare provider, two, Trump Tower, three, Donald Trump Central Park West Apartment Building, and four, the executive office of the President of the United States. Yes, you heard that right. They hacked not just Trump Tower, but the White House. After Trump became president, they hacked the White House. These people who pose as defenders of democracy. How is that even possible? So as obvious as that is and as black and white as it appears on the page, the Washington Post headline, why Trump is once again claiming that he was spied upon in 2016. There are legitimate questions about the effort to link Trump back to Russia using the data that was not only sketchy at the outset, but had also been debunked in the any time the election was over. But there is no question that there is not proof that Trump Tower was wiretapped. If it is, if it is evidence on Trump being spied on, as the former president has claimed in recent days, and it is a very broad sort of spying, collecting of all the domain name look, uh, lookups from a physical location or a network being conducted not by the Obama administration or by Hillary Clinton, but by an anti-Trump lawyer. The anti-Trump lawyer, Washington Post, is linked to the Clinton campaign who got information from a tech firm with a guy that was going to head up cybersecurity for Clinton's presidency, who used a contract with the federal government to go beyond his manifest and look into Trump the civilian, Trump the president-elect, and Trump the president. Sooner or later, the Washington Post has got to do with, the, and the what New York Times got to do, what they ended up doing, admitting that the Hunter Biden story was real. They're going to admit this story is real. It's getting closer and closer and impossible to deny, especially if there's another arrest. Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, in a matter of moments, we're going to have Ben Dominic on. Then we're going to have Maria, Maria Bartiroma break down the storm report as she knows it. And then we'll do a simulcast on Barney and Company. We'll uh, take a look at the FBN audience and see if we like them as much as our audience and see if we'll all get along. Uh, a lot going on today as we come to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Eyes on the Ukraine, of course, not taking our eyes off that. There's been some change there. We'll relay that in a matter of seconds. Also, we're looking at the market up 300 points because of the change there, I would argue. And we have a a huge crime problem right here and a frustrated mayor who went up to visit with fellow Democrats to say, do me a favor. 
the no cash bail. I understand your intent, but it's blowing up in our face, making our streets unsafe, and they told them to hit the road. Incredible, right? Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Continues to advance um, his readiness should he choose to go down a military uh, path here. Should he choose to invade again, he is doing all the things you would expect him to do to make sure he's ready for that option. Uh, Right, but there's been a little bit of a change. Backing off, many signs that Russia might not be quite ready to invade at this moment. The story behind the story as the administration evacuates their embassy in Kiev. Number two. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe. These tools include strengthening their ability to impose fines, or imprisonment. Truckers under siege in Canada. Their rights have been suspended thanks to Justin Trudeau's terrible leadership, what it means for the restrictions and mandates which are at the foundation of these protests and how freedom seems to be the new trigger slash F word. Number one. The conspirators, the co-conspirators, look what they have dragged our nation through for the last five years. The primary coast conspirators is the, is the mainstream media. Uh, I don't believe they were just simply duped. I think they are complicit in this. There you go. Uh, Ron Johnson took a beating because of that. Durham report rises. The New York Times and Washington Post scramble to debunk it. We'll sort through it all and see if Trump has an apology coming from Leslie Stahl. Uh, let's bring in Ben Dominic, Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist. Hey, Ben, welcome. Hey, good to be with you again, Brian. It's been too long, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a good morning, I think, uh, for a lot of reasons. I uh, I can be consistent for once, I think, with your uh, with your opening promise to have a, a positive outlook uh, today for a number of reasons, and okay. I think that that last uh, clip that you uh, played regarding the Durham report is is one of them, meaning that. We may finally get to the point where uh, there are going to be some answers and some people called to account for the things that they got away with many years ago. Uh, I do not think that will include Leslie Stahl apologizing, unfortunately. Uh, but, right. uh, but, hey, you know, uh, things, things could fly. So, so for, from the revelations that we know, uh, John Durham, he paid about $3 million. They spent about $30 million on the Mueller report. And basically, we find out that this guy, Michael Sussman, uh, uh, did not tell uh, anybody like uh, the lawyer for the the attorney, uh, the counsel for the FBI, uh, Jim Baker, did not say that he was working for the Trump for the Hillary Clinton campaign. When he went up and said, hey, I'm seeing this cyber, this exchange between this Russian bank. I'm seeing this exchange between the Russian bank and the Trump campaign, which became the president elect and it became the Trump White House. And they say, yeah, you know, are you affiliate with anyone? He goes, no, I'm not. I'm just a concerned citizen. Okay, fine. Well, it turns out Sussman's working for Hillary Clinton. Well, it turns out that the cyber firm Rod- Rodney Jaffe ran. He was the t- technology executive with this cyber firm. And this cyber firm had a legitimate contract with the White House to work on, cy- uh, on cyber issues for the White House. It's the name of the company is Newstar. So Newstar... It was able to get, using some of their students as well, to get intelligence, they believe, or information, piece it together to establish some type of leak, leak, uh, link, which is fictitious between Trump and this Alpha Bank and Russia in particular. 
They get this information. They ferry it to the FBI. The FBI starts running with it. Am I outlining what we're basically seeing? Yes, you are. And uh, I know that Maria uh, Bartiromo will have more on this uh, when you talk to her. But but just uh, one uh, overall point that I think people should understand about what's going on here. You, you've heard from the likes of CNN over the past several years, invocation after invocation, that what the Trump administration was doing uh, was in, in, you know, on, you know, pick the topic, worse than Watergate, quote unquote. That's their favorite line that they use over and over and over again. Well, in this case, I actually would argue that what you're seeing here is much worse than Watergate. It's just coming from the other side uh, in the sense that you have a, a violation of not just norms, but of the kind of, of breaking and entering effectively uh, within the technological realm that ought to have massive ramifications and reveals, I think, the degree to which the wool was pulled over Americans' eyes uh, by a complicit media. Uh, you know, I know that, that Ron Johnson still refers to it as mainstream, but I, I, I absolutely believe we have to refer to it as a complicit media juggernaut that really wanted to go along with any little seedling that they could find to use against Trump uh, and build it into a giant oak tree. I think that what they ended up with, of course, in this case, uh, was that as the truth came out, as the facts became known, that uh, this was, turned out not to be the case at all. It turned out to be something that was uh, invented, that was purposefully invented, that was used uh, in an effort to try to undermine his presidency uh, from the get-go. And I think that at the end of the day, the real question we have to be asking is, who does the FBI work for? Who do the people who are supposed to enforce our laws actually work for? Are they working for the interests of the American people? Or are they working for their own interests in cases, and even to the degree, in this case, of one of their critics in President Trump, who happened to get elected president of the United States? And this is what, you know, William Barr saw this because I see some disturbing things here. And I thought to myself, that's interesting. You know, may, maybe, you know, the, Trump hired him, he kind of allegiance to him. But he said, I'm going to hire somebody that both sides of the aisle like, John Durham. And I watched Eric Holder praise John Durham. I just waited. Durham gets, continues to get close. They're going to start ripping on his credibility. So both sides oh, are crediting. Yeah, and they're going to go after that. As soon as he gets closer, has another announcement. Here's what John Radcliffe said to Laura last night, cut nine. We had intelligence that Hillary Clinton had a plan to create this narrative, this false Trump-Russia connection. Um, and that is the, uh, the notes that I declassified, John Brennan's handwritten notes that showed that he briefed President Obama and Vice President Biden and their national security team about that plan. But in addition to those declassified documents, Laura, I gave John Durham thousands of other documents that are still classified that, um, that detail what that plan was. And these public filings are starting to be—John uh, Durham is starting to reveal to the public what some of the details of that plan uh, specifically were. He says there's going to be other big names indicted, and that's former DNI director, not, the Republican, not as a Republican from Texas. When he became DNI director, he saw this stuff. Things that we have to recognize here is that this is not just going to have domestic 
political ramifications. As as much as people are going to try to shove this under the rug, uh, and of course the media has you know uh, it's bent over backward trying to justify not covering this, not talking about it, diminishing what it actually means. Uh, the fact is that Republican politicians are not going to stop talking about it. Republican voters are not going to stop talking about it, and they can't silence half the country that actually cares about this and doesn't believe that this is the way that they thought American government even ever worked. But there are international ramifications as well. The the fact is that the impact that all of these allegations had on the Trump administration made it very difficult for them to navigate our relationship vis-a-vis Russia. Any time that there was any kind of attempt to dial down uh, the animosity there, to have any kind of pullback of uh, a potential contretemps, they ended up in a situation where they were being accused of being, uh, you know, tools of Russia in one way or the, or the other, simply because they wanted to take steps uh, that wouldn't lead to uh, a kind of actual uh, hot war uh, in in a number of different locations. Uh, the ultimate uh, just the uh, justification of all this uh, being used that was against him uh, during the campaign had ramifications on the foreign policy uh, that happened under his leadership, and it's still having ramifications today. I think that if steps had been taken over the past six years, I think that we may not have ever come to this kind of situation in Ukraine, uh, but these domestic political attempts to sabotage Trump's efforts uh, during the campaign and then as president absolutely have led us to this day where the Biden administration seems completely completely incapable of handling anything that's going on in the world today. We, we do note that evidently they did pull back a few thousand troops in when asked about the Russian troops. When asked, they said, well, the war games are over. We're pulling them back. We never said we were going to invade. <laughs> There's still time for politics. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but the president, uh, if they do invade after all this diplomatic work, the message to China, like it or not, is going to be go ahead and do mm-hmm. Taiwan. Uh, what else? Exactly. You know, what could they do? I mean, what do we do after Hong Kong? Nothing. Yeah, you know, the the reality, Brian, is that the choices that Vladimir Putin has been making ever since uh, Joe, it became clear that Joe Biden was going to be the next president of the United States uh, have all been about who is the strong horse in this situation. Is it America? Is it uh, the United States that has led the world uh, for so many years uh, in, uh, post the Cold War? Or is it China? Is it China's interest? Are they going to have my back? If I do these various things, Russia is still in many ways, you know, it's a weak nation. It is one dependent on gas prices that the line goes over and over again that Putin is playing a weak hand but playing it very well. Um, But why is he doing that? It's because he's confident that China has his back and that they're going to be the dominant force uh, in the world today and to come uh, and not the United States, that we are headed toward a period of diminishment um, and retrenchment and that he doesn't have any respect for the kind of things that the Biden administration uh, is doing. Uh, and, And honestly, I think that that is a sign of how uh, of how li- little prepared they really were for this situation after, of course, all that complicit media talk that he represented a return to normalcy and the adults being back in charge. Right. How laughable that looks today. Remember, we took the missile shield out when President Obama took over as a gesture of goodwill. They looked at it as weakness. Then they took Georgia. <laughs> we know what happened after that. So a couple other things. So Justin Trudeau has done the stunning thing. He's invoked powerful, never-used-before legislation to crack down on trucker protests that are blockading the border crossings, bringing downtown Ottawa to a standstill. What do they want? They don't want more money. They want freedom. They want freedom from the mandates, the crackdowns, the lockdowns, and they do not want to get vaccinated. 
when they stood up, so did the rest of the Canadians, and so did America take notice, so did Paris take notice, so did Australia take notice, so did New Zealand take notice. Evidently, there's a caravan forming out on the West Coast in Bakersfield that could be heading to Washington, D.C. What are they asking for? They're asking for freedom. And guess where the cases are going? Down rapidly, down 67 percent, along with deaths and hospitalizations. The presidents of both nations, leaders of both nations, could use this as an opportunity to say, I hear you. Instead, they want to continue to crack down. In Canada, and I hardly can do with, I'm not ready to do my senior thesis on Canadian politics, but the premiers of Alberta, Manitoba, Quebec, Saskatchewan, and now Ontario have all said they're dialing back on the restrictions. Why Trudeau wants to crack down, I don't get. And what might also don't get is everybody in the media outside the Post, me, you, and Fox, which I guess encompasses that, are saying we're seeing eye to eye with the truckers. We know exactly what they're going through. And guess who else agrees with us? Bill Maher. Justin Trudeau. I mean, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. And I started to read what he, he said. This is a couple of weeks ago. He was, or maybe this is September, but he was talking about people who are not vaccinated. He said they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. No, they're Ooh, not. That was not that, smart of him at all. Right. He said, but they take up space. Mm. And wow. with that, we have to make a choice in terms of a leader as a country. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate these? Now you do sound that's, like no, Hitler. That's, mm-hmm. that, that was- uh, and recently he talked about them holding, holding unacceptable views. I, I mean, come on. I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. I mean, mean, we probably could have said it smoother, but I know I agree with him. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things to keep in mind when you hear things like that from Bill Maher is that Bill Maher is still a man of the left. He's just a man of the left from 20 years ago that would have been up in arms about the authoritarian use of government power uh, to crack down on workers uh, who want to be able to do their jobs, especially when that crackdown comes not based on any kind of real science, but really the just the show of strength that, in this case, the Canadian government wants to be able to use to bring people in line. And I think that what we've seen in America is the beginning of a real backlash to that. Clearly, Democrat governors across the country have seen the internal polling data. They've seen the reality of the uh, political ramifications uh, that await them in the fall. And it's one of the reasons that regardless of whatever excuses they're using, they're rolling back a lot of mandates that they put in place just in the past few months, including in Washington, D.C., the Capitol. And this is something that I think uh, is going to play out in front of, of the eyes of the world as being a real demonstration of, uh, of populist pushback against authoritarianism. Uh, and Trudeau is this kind of, of well-coiffed, uh, you know, anti-populist authoritarian uh, who wants to go out there and, and do this in, in kind of the, the whims of a pretty boy uh, as opposed to actually paying attention to the plight of workers, paying attention to their yeah. demands, or treating them like actual citizens is something that I think the world is going to reject as an approach to leadership. Ben Dominic, Joe, it's great to hear from you. Thanks, Ben. Check out his podcast. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 866 I'll take your calls. We're going to go inside the dorm report in much detail. Maria Bartiromer in 10 minutes, but you're next. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
I think what you're seeing, there's this huge ramping up of the new threat to the United States, and yet you have a White House that seems utterly uninterested in actually stepping up to deal with national security issues. It has been focused almost entirely since the beginning of this administration on domestic programs uh, pushed by progressives. Um, it, you look at the way they handled Afghanistan, they just seem to kind of want to get past it and continue to say it all went well. Um, right now they're dealing with this because they have to. But what would be great is we need a Biden who's decided that this is the challenge of his presidency, who's going to lead the Western world in a response on this. Um, and that's going to be vital to the future security of the U.S. Yeah, Kim Strauss was trying to see uh, the way out of this Ukraine-Russia standoff. I didn't, never remember anything quite like it. Unprovoked, Russia comes out and puts 100,000, now 130,000 troops on the border of Ukraine through the Belarus. So now it's almost totally surrounded, even have a, a naval presence uh, off the coast in the Black Sea. So what did happen? Well, because Ukraine likes the West and has indications are they have an aspiration to join NATO, but they haven't joined NATO. NATO never said they're about to join. So they, she, he, they make up this confrontation. Some good news. Russia says more troops returning to their bases after a large-scale military drills continued. Defense minister saying a number of combat training events, including exercises, have been carried out according to plan. As the combat training events are completed, the troops are going back. So that's good. But they're continuing to talk uh, on Sunday and make very little progress. And the Ukraine says it's everyone's acting hysterical. We are not hysterical. Russia's saying the same thing. But I just don't know. see a scenario where Russia doesn't attack. Then what? Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. Well, there's no e real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Donald Trump and William Barr promised that Durham would expose huge corruption, but he hasn't done that. It's apparently an ongoing, concerted Republican and pro-Trump project to try to turn the investigation of the Russia scandal into some kind of scandal itself. That is a little of the uh, smug outrage uh, that people had saying that how dare Donald Trump claim that he was spied on. Was he indeed spied on? Does John Durham reveal that and what we know so far about his report? Maria Bartiromo joins us now, host of Mornings with Maria from uh, 6 to 9. But, of course, don't miss her show, Sunday Morning Futures, 10 o'clock on Sundays. It's repeated in the afternoon. Uh, Maria, welcome back. You were the first one to cover this in depth. Uh, and I'm just watching Morning Joe cover this this morning. And they say anyone who believes that John Durham showing a link between the Hillary Clinton campaign and uh, and spying on the Trump campaign has to be willfully stupid. Are we willfully stupid? No, I think it's clear that Morning Joe is uh, uninformed. Um, it's pretty clear what has taken place here. And you're right. In 2017 and 18, I reported that I believe there was no collusion because my sources were so specific with me in telling me what really happened that I was so outraged at that time that I felt I needed to go scream it from the rooftop. So I just started talking about it all the time, telling people that I did not believe that there was collusion and that I think that Hillary Clinton made it up. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. And it's even worse than I thought. And I had covered it for so many years, having people like Devin Nunes on and John Radcliffe on every Sunday, going through everything that they were doing in their investigation of the origins of the Russia hoax, 
And even with that, with all of that, it's actually even worse than I thought. So it's very clear that Joe Scarborough and his team are obviously very uninformed about what went on. But I think you bring up a really important point. Are they uninformed or are they just political hacks? Do they really just want to continue to drive a narrative even though it's not true? I don't know. I mean, I think that they're uninformed, but you have to wonder why it is that the entire media landscape, except, of course, you and me and Fox News and the Wall Street Journal and a few others, why it is that much of the media refuses to recognize what has taken place here. I mean, we all love our country. We all love the freedom and liberty that America gives us. So why aren't we all on the same page in terms of seeing this for what it is? I don't know. I have to believe they're just wildly uninformed. But there's also the idea that maybe they just don't want to believe it because they have this idea in their head and they just really, really want it to be true. And that is that Donald Trump colluded. So I'm going to give you a throw out a few names. Uh, Rodney Jaffe, the uh, the detractors say he's apolitical. He's just a tech executive uh, who came across some information. And they say Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman was not being paid at the time when he went up to Jim Baker and gave him this intelligence and voiced his concern about uh, the Trump links to Russia and Alpha Bank. So Rodney Jaffe was the one who was running the tech firm who had some some of his students actually go through all this raw data to try to link together, we assume, Trump and Russia and put that information out there that was regurgitated by Jake Sullivan and Hillary Clinton and some of their minions at various venues while leaking some of that to the press like Slate magazine. But you have to remember that this Rodney Jaffe, for one, has been a government-contracted company for a long time. His company was New Star. And remember back in 2014 when President Obama was talking so much about uh, big tech, big tech, and database of, uh, of, of information. He says he's got a big data problem. And all, all of those years, 2014 and 15, when President Obama said that all of the uh, public phone records moved out of the National Security Agency and into private hands into the cloud, that was a big project. That was when he hired Rodney Goffey, a new star. And Newstar has been contracted by government ever since. It doesn't matter that he was in the place at the right time to be able to intercept data. He did it. Yeah, we're breaking up a little bit, but I'm sure she, uh, Marie can still hear us. We'll get her in a better spot, but I want you to hear from Marco Rubio. So in terms of a person that doesn't get involved in hyperbole, he's one of them. Cut 10. This is a big deal. I mean, it, it's shocking to me that this is not receiving more coverage in the press. I don't think any of the Sunday shows mentioned it. But what we're talking about here is not simply this, you know, the, the probe using data scientists to make up a story or links to, between Trump and Russia, but the White House. Apparently there was a private company that had a contract to manage servers for the President of the United States and the White House, and they were sharing information to help build a narrative for a political operation. And you know why? The, if, if this is all proven true. It would be one of the biggest political scandals in America history. It would be a crime, no doubt about it. And it would tell you why these people think they can get away with it. 
Yeah, uh, if they, of course, could get away with it. If you look at the other channels, they said, well, we wanted to report it, but they don't think there's anything here. I do look for Durham to even uh, make this even clearer because he doesn't seem to be into the press. He's just into answers. Cut 11, Britt Hume. So far, the media's reaction to it is shades of the, of the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was a solid story they refused to cover in the middle of a campaign. And they ended up with egg all over their faces for failing to do so. Now, now comes this story. Now, look, in the near term, um, you know, we might not hear anything more. The mainstream media may not, may not pick up on it. But if further charges and indictments and information follow, as seems at least distinctly possible, uh, the, our, the national media is going to have egg all over, all, all over its collective face again. So, you know, he I don't know if you heard that, Maria, but he, he equated it to the Hunter, lap, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story because they are writing about that story. They say, hey, you know what? In The Washington Post, they said we should have covered it. So are they going to come around? Does Durham have to show another wave of information to, to embarrass people to cover this honestly? People might not cover it at all, Brian. You know that. I mean, they, they have their narrative. They wanted that Russia collusion story to be true so badly that they're just going to ignore it. But I think you are seeing a turn in the general public. More and more people understand what has taken place. Even people like Bill Maher, uh, yeah. you know, others are saying, you know, wait. You know, this doesn't look right. So I do think, I mean, look, for me, I've always been an independent. But when I tripped over this story about Hillary Clinton's campaign made this up, I couldn't believe it. It it got me so outraged because I came from a whole different world. I came from business, the economy, at CNBC for 20 years. I didn't realize these kinds of dirty tricks existed, I mean, to this level. So I was so stunned. And so that's why, for me, it was so outrageous, and I had to keep doing it every single day. Because I just think it's, it, it's, it's something that you would expect both sides of the aisle to agree on. And let me tell you, there's real culpability for people like Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff, at the time, was the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. He saw the same data and the same intelligence that John Radcliffe and Devin Nunes saw. And he said exactly the opposite. He went on shows like Chuck Todd and MSNBC shows, and he said, quote, collusion is in plain sight. How is it possible that an elected official who's on the House Intel Committee, a ranking member, could come out and say, Collusion is in plain sight when he knew otherwise. So I think that there is going to be a lot of finger pointing and a lot of people are going to be, you know, fingered for this. And, yes, I agree there will be many more indictments. And I also agree it will go to the leadership of federal agencies. I'm talking about the FBI and the CIA. You know, it's interesting, Maria, when, although Durham doesn't cover this. When Trump comes out after meeting with Vladimir Putin, he said, I didn't hack your election and I didn't do this and I didn't hack Hillary Clinton's emails. He knows there's something happened. He knows somehow he was hacked. He knows that he said this right away. Uh, the Clinton campaign hacked my emails. They wiretapped me or whatever they said. I think at some level, Vladimir Putin's been overcharged, overcharged for 2016, as evil as he is. And he is evil. I mean, with like he must in a way, Trump was right about that, too. 
Yes, he was. And that's the thing. I think one of the reasons that the mainstream media and the Democrats hate Trump so much is because he came too close to the fire. And what I mean by that is the fire of corruption. We are now uncovering so much corruption in Washington. But Trump walked into the place. He had only been in Washington 10 days before he actually became president, if you can believe that one. He, he didn't spend any time in Washington. He comes in. He starts seeing things that don't make sense. He starts calling it out, not afraid of what he says, not afraid to be blunt about it. They couldn't stand it. They said to themselves, you know what, we got to get this guy out of here because he's going to expose us all. And you know what is next to be exposed is all of the conflicts to China and all of the money that, the, that certain politicians have taken from China. Because don't underestimate what this Russia hoax has yeah. done to our country in terms of allowing and enabling China to get a lead, uh, producing hypersonic missiles, uh, stealing intellectual property, all the while this country and its media were saying Russia, 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 Russia hoax, uh, President Trump colluded. What a waste of time. I hear you. Maria Bartiromo, thanks so much. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, we're going to be talking to crime in a moment uh, with Stuart Varney, Varney and Company, because we're right here in New York City. We can understand it uh, because, uh, sadly, uh, the crime is not just in here. It's in Chicago. It's in Charlotte. Uh, we see it in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, going through the roof because of the lack of accountability and a lack of cops, lack of backing. Uh, but by the way, if it's AOC, she blames baby formula uh, because we're out of it. Uh, and that's why people have to continue to steal things. Now, OK, soft on crime policies, I think, are to blame for this awful situation in New York City. But I got to tell you, Brian, my heart goes out to young Asian women in America's big cities. They're just being picked off. And this is a terrible thing. How are we going to get people to come back to these cities when you've got this kind of thing happening on a mass scale. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, they are, people are coming back. I couldn't believe the numbers on subways uh, went up to 4 million or something last month, and they were down, uh, down ridiculously low over the last two and a half years. People are coming back and maybe crowding out some of the criminals, but not the homeless. A lot of these people are the so-called homeless, the vagrants, the people used to feel bad for. Now they have to run from and fear from. A lot of these guys that are committing these crimes are the homeless, mentally ill, violent, multiple uh, crim- multiple uh, offenders yeah. that somehow are escaping prison. Well, it's a policy, isn't it? You don't go to prison. We want to empty the prisons. We don't give people high bail. We give them low bail or no bail. This is policy. This is not some kind of quirk of nature that suddenly happened. It's policy. That's what it is. And the Democrats in Albany refuse to change the law. We got a real problem here. Right. And the amazing thing is, when you had a mayor who's came in with a lot of hoopla, like Mayor Adams, and I'm sure he said to himself, yeah, I got a lot of momentum here. I'm going to go up to Albany and, and talk to my own party and let them, I'll give them cover so they want to back off, being that they want to survive uh, personally and professionally in their party. So they'll do that. So he said it publicly, and, and he got rebuked by the city council and state legislator. And then he went up to this Albany and he got rebuked again. He essentially said, I'm going to have to deal with no cash bail. Now, I had the, I had the uh, police chief rider of Nassau County. The minute this came out, he said, you don't understand. 
when we arrest somebody, we got to get that paperwork done instantaneously and try to give it to a judge to keep them overnight. If we can't get that paperwork done, get their background check done, they're out before we can finish it. So you know what's happened, Stuart? They say, well, the numbers show that when we let people out, they're not committing another crime. They don't show the people that aren't arrested because the cops are saying, I'm not arresting that guy because uh, it's his guys. Uh, because in a matter of two days or two hours, they're going to be out again. So why should I bother? And you're not going to back me anyway. I'm getting $34,000, and you're going to have me put my life on the line to grab him, and I bring him back in, and, somebody, yeah. and some court is going to say, go back out. This makes no sense. And how about this? AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, claims that ending the child tax credit is the reason for the rise in crime. Let's play that one more time. Roll it, please. Gee, the child tax credit just ran out on December 31st, and now people are stealing baby formula. We want to say these people are criminals, or we want to talk about people that are violent. She is factually wrong. They're not stealing baby formula. They're walking into stores and sticking everything they possibly can. Last word to you. Christina Yuna Lee was stabbed by a homeless guy, uh, uh, Samad Nash, 25 to 40 times. He, she was followed home, beaten up, had to fight for her life. Sadly, she lost, stabbed to death in her bathroom. She's Asian. She didn't have any baby formula on her. This is the, the Asian man that was uh, thrown in front of a train at 63 years old. He didn't have any baby formula either. What about the model that was beaten up? She yeah. didn't have any baby formula on her. Is she out of her mind? She's from Queens. How could she even get that out of her mouth? Talking to the New Yorker magazine. Yes, in New Unbelievable. York. Unbelievable. In New York, precisely the place where this kind of awful thing is going on. It is unbelievable. All right, Brian, we're good and we're done. We'll see you later. Go Thanks get him, so Stuart. Much, Thank you. you uh, let's go out to Hank, listening to uh, Virginia Beach, WNIS. Hey, Hank. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? I just love your show. You know, the whole thing, I'm an independent, and uh, I really like Trump because he kind of spoke his mind. But have you ever been blamed for something that you didn't do as a kid? All that time, they would blame Trump, 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 Russia, Russia, Russia. Not only did they spend millions and millions of our dollars, the whole economy, the world's kind of done a paradigm shift for something that really didn't occur. And now there's, nobody's going to pay for this? I mean, like Adam we'll Schiff see. and Hillary Clinton and all these this gang of thugs, actually. And I'm just well, I mean, it wasted our time. It wasted over, something. like, $40 million on an investigation. It gave Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapper something to talk about. And, of course, Chris Cuomo. But he ultimately got in the way of his own career. So it gave them a format. It gave them ratings. They were able to sell advertising dollars, able to sell books. Uh, and they're continuing to do it. Now there's some story about him taking National Archives and putting him into the uh, toilet. you got another two or three days on that. We don't know if that ever be true, uh, if that's true at all. And then you have people running from this story. I would say that Durham's got to come out with something that the rest of the media can't run from. Make it so obvious. Make the link so flagrant that they won't be able to avoid it. And then people will realize uh, how America got hamstrung. Look, I'll, I'll broaden it out. When, Bill, when Hillary, when they did this star investigation, Ken Starr found out that there was this thing going on with Monica Lewinsky, and then they just parried over to that. Now, is it a legal activity? Absolutely. Was it abhorrent? Absolutely. But while we were all fixated on impeachment, do you know what happened? 
Bin Laden started expanding his camps. Terrorists started springing up. He started going out through Africa. His movement really took root. He ended up in Afghanistan. And then we had a terror hit on the coal. Couldn't really answer. The president was lame duck at the time. And then we had 9-11. When we have these domestic distractions, sometimes they're necessary. And sometimes they're totally folly. When we get distracted, the rest of the evil tends to take root. And right now we're dealing with it in China and we're dealing with it in Russia. And we look like the Keystone Cops as a country. We'll come out of it, though. I see it. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget One Nation Saturday nights at 8 o'clock and BrianKillMe.com for any of my books. In our war against history, it's about time we won. Pick them all up. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Dave McCormick is standing by, former Undersecretary of the U.S. Treasury for International Affairs, a longtime businessman, very successful. He wants to be the next senator from Pennsylvania to replace Pat Toomey, uh, along with Dr. Oz. Those two have moved out in front of the pack. Uh, in Pennsylvania, Dave McCormick in a matter of moments. Then, a guy that wants to be in Congress again, Ryan Zinke, who is a former U.S. Secretary of the Interior and U.S. Navy SEAL. we got to get him on the latest on Ukraine as well. And before we do that, uh, and of course take your calls, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Continues to advance um, his readiness should he choose to go down a military uh, path here. Should he choose to invade again, he is doing all the things you would expect him to do to make sure he's ready for that option. Uh, That is John Kirby. Uh, They have this new policy of telling everything that's on their mind without telling us uh, whether it's true or not. They say it's all true, but we have no proof of it. Backing off. Many signs that Russia might be backing off just a little bit on their invasion of Ukraine, although the rhetoric out of the White House not so fast. We still expect him to go in. Markets up 469 points. Number two. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe. These tools include strengthening their ability to impose fines or imprisonment. Can you believe this? Justin Trudeau cracking down on Canadians because they want to get rid of... No, they don't want a pay increase. They don't want more medical leave. What they want is their freedoms back, and other people have joined them. And guess what? They have emergency powers, and three province leaders have all said this is an overreach. Justin Trudeau must be on something. Number one. The conspirators, the co-conspirators, look what they have dragged our nation through for the last five years. The primary coast conspirators is the the mainstream media. Uh, I don't believe they were just simply duped. I think they are complicit in this. Uh, Possibly. That is Ron Johnson. The dorm report rises. The New York Times and Washington Post scrambles to debunk it. We will sort through it all and make sense of it. As Donald Trump says, I told you my uh, the Trump Tower was hacked and my administration, uh, uh, my administration was compromised. Well, let's bring in Dave McCormick. Uh, Dave decided to give up his cushy job as CEO of a, a major fund in order to have some fun uh, in one of the biggest states in the union, Pennsylvania, walking around meeting just about everybody to be the next senator. 
How's it going, Dave? Did you realize winter was going to be uh, part of the campaigning and you'd be outdoors? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did have a sense. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been traveling across uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in my my Ford F one fifty pickup truck, and uh, it's been amazing uh, to meet people across uh, our great state. But uh, boy, you realize how big a state it is. <laughs> yeah, with thousands and thousands of miles. So uh, we know in New York City it's been overrun by criminals, and the effort to rein them in and empower the cops has proven unsuccessful. Uh, even when they bring back the plain clothes, it's not working. But it's not unique to New York. Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Philadelphia. Are you finding when you're talking to people in Pennsylvania that crime matters? Yeah, well, let me, let me say just two, two quick things here, Brian. So first, I'm just sitting here watching Fox News and seeing the 82nd Airborne Division, which is my own my old unit. Uh, deploying to Poland, and I, I think this is the direct consequence of of weakness uh, that the Biden administration undertook with Afghanistan and, the, and the, the the terrible debacle there, but also with the Nord Stream two agreement and then the, the nuclear agreement that was signed with the with the Russians soon after Biden came to office. So our thoughts and prayers are with those young young men and women, and I I hear that theme uh, to your question about weakness um, across across the state, and we see it. In our open border policies, we see it in our economy. We certainly see it in crime um, in, in all of our Commonwealth, but, but particularly our sanctuary cities. I'm, I'm in Philadelphia today, and the murder rate here uh, is at an all-time high. It's due to a, a rogue uh, district attorney, but it's also due to a, to a, a theme of defunding the police and, um, and not uh, cracking down on our criminals. It's also a, a contributor to this is the open borders, where we see a huge inflow of illegal immigrants. So it's a big deal on the mind of, uh, of Pennsylvanians. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so far, it looks like the Democrats are scrambling to uh, rein that in, the hold to fund the police. Meanwhile, Cori Bush, the squad, anytime you talk to them, they think the cops are the problem. Here's the speaker yesterday. And tell me if you think this is going to make, uh, it's going to help Democrats be looked at as on the positive side of law and order. How do you think Democrats should address rising crime? Well, with all the respect in the world for Cord Bush, that is not the position of the Democratic Party. Community safety, to protect and defend in every way, is our oath of office. We're all concerned about mistreatment of people, and that's why uh, Karen Bass had the Justice and Policing Act, and we would hope to get some of that done, whether it's No Knock or Joe Colt or some of those issues, even if we so, can't get so it. So read in between the lines there. Well, I, you know, I think it's I think it's part of a of a of a broader theme, and I think uh, you know people across Pennsylvania are, are really fed up. And this is the the thing I I just want to touch on across all dimensions of our policies, not just law and order, although that's uh, a, a key example of it. But it's in a socialist economic policy that's in open borders that are leading to a huge rise in fentanyl. It's uh, it's an energy policy which is clamping down on on really a key driver of the economy uh, in Pennsylvania. And I think you're seeing this huge uh, pushback. And, 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 uh, and I think people, it's not just Republicans, I think people across the state are, are seeing and across the country are seeing that these ideas are bad and they're not working. And that's, uh, and that's what the people of Pennsylvania are certainly telling me. When it comes to getting kids back in school, I saw some poll that 56% of uh, parents want to leave the max mandate in place. I have not met any of those parents, but it's truly Governor Yunkin is getting pushback in Virginia from parents who don't want to make masking optional. I have not met any of those parents. 
But for you, when you talk to them, what are their greatest concerns? Well, listen, on um, on on schools, I mean, you you hear this. It's a drumbeat. And certainly uh, Glenn Young Consultant, Virginia, I hear it in Pennsylvania all the time. Uh, the COVID is a, is a great example where parents want to have the choice on whether their kids wear masks or not. They don't want the government telling them. And they and we now see increasing evidence that uh, masks have had a really damaging effect on children. And so there's there's no doubt that parents want and insist on being more involved in curriculum, more involved in um, in the in the protocols and making decisions around the mask. And the thing that also uh, I hear over and over again is the absolute hypocrisy of of these mask mandates. And the, you know the Super Bowl was a great example of that, where you see uh, where you see these mask mandates that uh, are being put in, in place by uh, officials, being put in place by elites, and then ultimately they don't follow them themselves. And so parents want to control this, and I think they have every right to decide whether their kids wear masks or not. I haven't met any of those parents you're talking about either. And then here is Mitch McConnell. After watching the Super Bowl, he, like many, are outraged. Cut 23. Americans who watched the Super Bowl saw rich celebrities having a grand time with hardly a mask in sight. But under Democrats' policies, first graders who watched that big maskless party last night had to wake up this morning and cover their own faces in order to go to school. America's classrooms seem to be the last places where local, state, and federal Democrats will accept that cost-benefit calculations exist and zero transmission is simply not possible. But the cases are down 67% across the country. Hospitalizations down 35%. All 50 states have a decline in numbers. When is the government going to respond to this? Well, listen, it comes back to a basic ideas, and this is why I think 2022 and also 2024 is going to be a great cycle for Republicans, because we're going to be able to talk about ideas. And in, and in a word, the Democratic ideas, the Democrats' ideas are that the government should decide, and our ideas as conservatives are that individual freedom and individual responsibility should rule. And that's where you see this whole COVID uh, response upside down. And I think, I think that uh, resistance uh, is growing. Uh, it's growing across every aspect of our of our society, Brian. I see it over and over again. I you you may have seen this, but I I ran um, a Super Bowl ad which uh, got a lot of attention. And the thing I was trying to highlight it was it had all the problems happening across our country um, with the Let's Go Brandon chat in the background, and then um, at the end the commercial ended by saying this is so much bigger than Brandon. And the point I was trying to make is there's there's all this outrage about this Brandon chant, but there's no outrage uh, among our elites and, and in our media around how terrible the direction of the country is. And uh, whether it's uh, inflation or empty grocery shelves or whether it's uh, uh, prices at the pump or whether it's the surge in crime you mentioned or whether it's 13 soldiers dying in Afghanistan and, and no, no accountability for that tragedy. But this is the anger that's swelling up. And uh, and COVID math is just one example of it, but I see it across many issues, and I see it across my entire state. So I know you were CEO of Bridgewater, uh, which is a major, uh, it's a major uh, uh, fund that has international roots. You also have a big military background. So I want to tap into both. Today, we find out year to year, inflation's just under 10%. What a burden it is for the American people. They say 8 in 10 living paycheck to paycheck. We feel every dollar. I certainly came from a background like that. Um, I think you can relate to that, not where you're at now, but where you were. 
What could Dave McCormick do with your wealth of knowledge about financing or an international business do to get down inflation? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a perfect example of bad policies. And if you had the split screen on your TV a year ago and today, um, inflation was a fraction of what it is now. And it's directly resulting from two things. It's res- resulting from uh, the Biden administration's excessive spending um, that, that really doubled down and tripled down on what was being spent prior to the Biden administration coming into, into effect. And that's contributed to the inflation, that uh, huge swell of money, as well as low interest rates that have been kept uh, uh, too low for too long by, uh, by our Fed and by Jay Powell. But the other thing, Brian, that's driving the inflation is energy policy. And this really matters to Pennsylvania. If we were a country, we'd be the fourth largest natural gas producer in the world. If Pennsylvania was a country, you guys are big frackers, right? Big frackers, right? And that, and which is which is a very clean source of energy relative to many others. And what you're seeing is the war on energy and the regulate regulatory blanket that's been put in place has had a huge effect on on America and on Pennsylvania, where we've become net energy importers in one year, and that's driven up fuel prices by fifty percent. And those that the increase in fuel prices shows up in in bread and meat and milk and many other things across our society. So the two things I do is, is pull back dramatically on, uh, on our fiscal stimulus. I'd, uh, I'd unleash our energy industry, and uh, I'd slowly um, uh, raise rates in a way that didn't, uh, didn't stall the economy but got us back to reasonable interest rates, which, uh, which we needed to do some time ago. So we wake up to this news. We haven't had good news in a while. A slight pullback by Russian troops after they say it was a major war game operation, uh, drills, and rehearsals in Belarus, and now they said they're open to more talks, and I think we're going to take them up on that. We, I've never seen anything quite like this, an unprovoked swelling of the border of Russian forces that have surrounded a neighbor because they have expressed interest in joining NATO. Dave, I mean, you're a guy with the military background who know the region well. What, do, what role do you think Americans should have here? Do you want a greater role than we have right now in terms of arming the Ukrainians? Yeah, well, first, this is this is goes back to a lesson we learned on the playground, Brian, which is if you show weakness, bullies will challenge you and test you. And we showed weakness in Afghanistan. We showed our uh, the administration. President Biden showed himself to be incompetent, uh, feckless. And ultimately, that's invited weakness around the world, not just in the Ukraine, but in Iran and, uh, and, in, and in China, with China and, and with others. And so now we're being tested. And the response should be one that raises the cost uh, for the Russians going into Ukraine. But the, but the primary uh, responsibility needs to be borne by the Europeans. But we should certainly think very hard about strong, strong sanctions to try to deter this, sanctions on the Russian oligarchy, oligarchs, but also sanctions on Nord Stream 2. We should uh, continue the lethal aid that uh, President Trump put in place supporting the, the Ukrainians. But, but listen, Pennsylvania has been a big contributor of the last 20 years to foreign wars. Um, lots of, of, of young men and women killed in action we should be very careful and take steps not to get drawn into uh, a land war and military action uh, in the Ukraine. And, and we should also keep an eye looking over our shoulder because it's at this kind of moment where the Chinese could be even more aggressive. And, uh, and that's ultimately uh, poses the greatest risk to our, our national security and our economic security. So former, we need to handle this with care, right. but also with strength and competence. Dave McCormick, former West Point grad, uh, well, West Point grad, I should say, former Under Secretary of the U.S. Treasury for International Affairs, Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Dave, thanks so much for your time. Hey, great to be with you, Brian. Thanks.
All right. Uh, GOP primary is May 17th. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Him and Dr. Oz seem to have separated themselves from the pack. Two great people. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. Then welcome in one of the most qualified people to ever be in Congress is, can, wants to continue to serve his country. Ryan Zinke joins us live. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From everything I see, has no respect for this person. Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet. And it's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's pretty clear you won't admit no, that the, the Russians have engaged in cyber attacks against the United States of America, that you encouraged espionage against our people, that you are willing to spout the Putin line, sign up for his wish list, break up NATO, do whatever he wants to do, and that you continue to get help from him because he has a very clear favorite in this race. So Hillary Clinton doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on the whole Russia narrative. Blessed friends with Vladimir Putin. Now it seems... If you were to extrapolate what we know about the Durham report, that it was part of it. Uh, she knew that she was being overwhelmed with the leak of these emails that embarrassed her, made her seem totally inept and, of course, not secure by the, way, the devices she used. I don't want to go through 2016 again. We're all sick of it. But knowing that and the avalanche of negative press that was coming down on her, how she was losing traction in the polls, it seems as though they conspired to put the burden— and the controversy onto President Trump, as if he didn't have enough controversy from Rosie O'Donnell on down to some of his business deals that probably didn't want to talk about. But instead, or Stormy Daniels or something else, but instead they make up this whole Russia narrative. And what they're talking about is uh, calling on them to spy on, uh, calling on them to, um, you know, to hit America. Is that one time he came out and said, hey, Russia, have you seen any more emails for Hillary Clinton? Those 30,000 emails they're missing, let me know. It was just a... Statement made at a press conference that he never stopped having, unlike the current president, he had as a candidate, and they used that to say he was calling on Russia to spy on us. That is Donald Trump being Donald Trump. But what do you think if along the way Hillary Clinton knew it was a fake story, a fake alliance, a fake uh, relationship, that she did it just to gain traction to win an election, and then after he became president, they heard him when he was president-elect, made sure the FBI had fuel to fire up their investigation on him? And they heard him as president. And then you got the Mueller report, thanks to Attorney General Sessions, who said, I have to recuse myself and I have to give uh, Robert Mueller a chance to launch an investigation. So that was how things got as bad as they got. When we return, Ryan Zinke joins us. He tells us about combat in in Europe, what it might look like, should it happen. Also about the Russia probe. And we're also going to be talking about what's happening in Canada because there's everything to do with what's happening here. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
The State Department announced today that they are temporary, temporarily relocating our embassy operations in Ukraine uh, from our embassy in Kiev to Lviv due to the dramatic acceleration in the buildup of Russian forces. A core team of embassy staff is remaining in Ukraine to engage with the Ukrainian government, coordinating diplomatic efforts and diplomacy to de-escalate uh, the crisis uh, if the crisis continues. Uh, that's the spokesperson filling in for Jen Psaki, talking about uh, they're gutting the embassy in Kiev and anticipating an invasion. But then suddenly the report this morning is the Russians pulled some troops back. They said, well, we never said they were going to stay. We did some war games in Belarus. Time to go home. They put their stuff on rails and are heading back. Does that mean it's time to exhale? Ryan Zinke knows all about the military. He's had a career in it as a retired Navy SEAL. Then he went to Congress in Montana, 1st District. He's now running for the 2nd District. And in between was the Secretary of the Interior for, Joy, for, for Donald Trump. Congressman, would you exhale if you're the U.S. forces or the diplomatic corps? No, I really want, you know, I'd look at Russia has already begun an attack. I mean, they've already done cyber. They've done psyops. They probe. They've calculated what the West's response will be, which will not be military. And you, you look at the benefits. Oil is up over 90. Russia's an engine for fossil fuel. NATO's divided. No question NATO's divided. And, and now they're aligned with China. So I think it, I think it remains, you know, a, you know, a, a tough decision whether or not they execute go go forward and solidify the corridor between Russia and the Crimean Peninsula. And they've, they've long said that's their territorial aspirations, but I think I think Russia has played it well, and the U.S. response has been divided and weak. But in some ways, it has brought NATO together. Even Germany uh, came and visited. Now they went over to Russia, as weak as they are. And then you had a situation where France was going over there. Like, I guess the EU wanted to, he wanted to show as head of the EU that he had some power. So I don't think they've really cracked. Would you say NATO is cracked? I don't think NATO is cracked, but there's division within it. Uh, rather than a unified voice, as you point out, France has gone alone. Italy has sent their business folks alone. And look, NATO is a fine concept, but without the U.S., they have no military capability. And the, and the U.S. Uh, response was to send a couple thousand National Guard troops from the Carolinas. That isn't a, a you know a, a stunning deterrent, considering you have 150, you know 130 or so thousand Russian troops along the border doing military operations, maritime off the coast. So you know Russia certainly has the military capability, and I, I think they're just biding their time waiting. I mean, I have always said that Russia itself has has been Delta. Kind of like in a game of poker, they're probably a pair of threes, but Putin plays it like a full house. So Russia, I'm watching this front page of the New York Times today, Russia's oil path. They, they put oil into Poland, Germany, a lot, Hungary, Slovakia, Bulgaria, a little bit to Romania, a lot to Italy, into France, even into Spain. It, it is kind of maddening to think that we have to watch their back against Russia and they're getting dependent on Russia. But there's no doubt about it. And, you know, when we came in the Trump administration, the U.S. was producing about 8.3 million barrels a day and declining. In two short years when I was secretary, we were 12.5 million barrels a day, energy dominant. And we could leverage that energy dominance to make sure our allies had a cleaner, 
more more efficient, better fuels uh, to to have a counter to Russian dirty fuels. Their refineries are not nearly what we do on the regulatory side. And look, if you're an environmentalist, I can guarantee it's better to produce energy in this country than watch it get produced overseas where there is no regulation. Congressman, what would the war look like from the Russian perspective? People seem to have been impressed by Russia, uh, military operations in Syria. You know, you're a hard judge. You're a real judge. You know what war fighting looks like. And if they do go into Ukraine, we know the Ukraine's got grit. Uh, they have more experience now from 2014. They got better numbers, got over 100,000. They got more willing to fight. So what would it look like? And what do you think that Russia wants to avoid? Well, what it could look like is the U.S. could export uh, high-tech drones. And, and drones are scaring everyone in the battlefield. Uh, there was a, if you want to look at what happened in Azerbaijan and Armenia, a relatively small amount of, of drone technology you know, wiped out a lot of the Armenian uh, military hardware to include you know, Soviet air defense systems. But what we're looking at is the U.S. has, has sent you know, some systems, but they're not high-tech. They're not UAVs. And look, a T-90 uh, has about a 3,000-yard range. It's a, it, they're hardened armor, and a shoulder-fired weapon is far from that. So, you know, it, it takes a very brave lad, Brian, to, to stand up and, and, and fire a shoulder-fired weapon at a tank. But I, I don't think they're going to take Kiev. I, I don't think that was ever their intention. They view on the eastern side there's some autonomous zones, very pro-Russian, and they do want to uh, link a corridor between Russia and the Crimean Peninsula where their fleet is, and that, of course, gives them access uh, to warm water. So I think that's their strategic objective. Uh, but I wouldn't take your eye off China either. Everyone's, everyone's kind of look, looking at, at Russia, but China also has their territorial ambitions uh, with Taiwan, and it seems that they're operating to a degree in concert with each other. So you were knee-deep in the turmoil and the tornado, which was the Russia investigation. I remember you, you and I did a lot of things together that were fun. You know, we'd go do things for uh, What Made America Great for Fox Nation and do some features for us. But at the same time, I'd be looking at you saying this whole Russia thing has overwhelmed the president. Now we find out there's well, less and less substance to it. I'm not saying it stopped him, but it was a nonstop distraction, wouldn't you think? Well, I gotta tell you, I, I suffered from from very similar, right? And and what people don't realize is the mainstream media and social media, and especially the Democratic Party and the deep state, are all the same. Are all the same. And how they do it is they try to slow you down by false allegations. In this in this case, with the Russian collusion, I mean, you 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 look at the scale. So it seems to be a Clinton campaign operation that was targeted and inserted at the highest levels of government. Cabinet members, senior law enforcement officials inserted the highest levels of government to go and mislead the FISA court to then target U.S. collection assets against Trump and his campaign. And then, of course, they had they unmasked the transcripts, and and Susan Rice and those that are in the White House today were reading those transcripts. That makes White House look like a picnic, and it's personal to me because you know I was in the administration for two years, and it slowed us down. But this is their modus of operandi. They will put false allegations. They will do anything they could to stop. President Trump and his administration, in my case, they tried to cancel culture activists. They they tried their best, but we got an enormous amount done in two years. So here's Steve Hilton, the, the new Durham report and the new revelations and more to come. 
said this is how he broke it down. He's got that social media background and a tech background, cut eight. Now we know, thanks to these documents, the factual background attached to a motion filed by special counsel John Durham as part of his indictment against former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, that the Clinton campaign paid a tech firm to, quote, mine Internet data to establish an inference, a narrative, tying then-candidate Trump to Russia. In Durham's words, this included, quote, non-public and or proprietary Internet data. What does mining non-public and proprietary data mean? It means hacking. It means spying. And look at their targets, according to Durham. Quote, Internet traffic pertaining to, one, a particular healthcare provider, two, Trump Tower, three, Donald Trump Central Park West apartment building, and four, the executive office of the President of the United States. Yes, you heard that right. They hacked not just Trump Tower, but the White House after Trump became president. They hacked the White House. These people who pose as defenders of democracy. How is that even possible? Rodney Jaffe is who's referring to. He was an executive with Newstar who had a contract with the executive branch of the White House who started to use some of his tech firms and some of the people that work for him. And the allegation is uh, some of the students that work for him to go ahead and try to find something about Russia in Trump Tower, which was where the campaign was located, and something that he was maybe interacting with with the Russian, you know, with the Russian government when he became into the White House. Does that surprise you? Well, <laughs> Surprise, yes, horrified, also yes. But when you go into the the, the White House, right, when when President Trump was talking to foreign leaders, foreign heads of state, those those transcripts were leaked within minutes. And, and, And I think that was treasonous. But I think this is a tip of the iceberg. I think the infiltration of the White House and, and look, when a when a transition happens, you know, President Trump brings in and the new president brings up a relatively small team compared to the careers that are there. And oh, and people always talk about a deep state, a deep state, a deep state. But when the deep state exists and turns against the sitting president by either leaking or is in. Uh, you know, in bed with these guys, and we'll see. You know how they, how they got in, who was who was working them. And I I believe that the the investigation will lead to a conclusion, and the conclusion is going to be, I think, horrifying to the American public. And once again, it digs at the trust of the government. I mean, Brian, is there any department, division, agency within the United States government that has the full trust and confidence of the people? And I struggle with that because even Department of Defense now is questioned because of Afghanistan. And we're going to have to bring transparency and accountability back to the government. Otherwise, this country could fail. They did an after-action report about what went wrong at Abbey Gate and what went wrong leading up to the evacuation of Afghanistan. Everything went wrong. But uh, they said, basically, that the administration, State Department, did not heed the warning signs. And the Defense Department could have done a better job reading the tea leaves. I get it. But the president... I found out over the weekend, did not even get briefed on this, but had no problem saying, I reject the findings. Nobody ever warned me or told me this thing was going to fall in August. Number one, if they didn't tell him, it's awful. And if they did tell him, he doesn't remember is awful. And if they did tell him and he denies it, that is triple awful. Where do you stand on this, Congressman? Most of your friends are in the military, some of them which are still active. Well, it begs the question, who's running the government? If the commander in chief isn't briefed on Afghanistan, he chose time, not it to. It didn't happen overnight. They can't get yeah, to it. It happened quickly. 
Right, but it didn't, it didn't happen overnight, Brian. It, 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 it happened fairly quickly, but you, you look at the sequence of operations, and it was the wrong call at every point in, in, in inflection point. And when you, when you look at Afghanistan, I mean, we not only left citizens, abandoned our citizens, we welded the gates shut at Kabul, knowingly and willingly left U.S. civilians outside yep. the perimeter to fend from themselves against the Taliban. At the same time, they were stoning to death female pilots that we trained. And how is this in anyone's world acceptable to, to the United States and our allies? And goes right back to, to Russia. Our allies don't trust us because we don't only had 2,500 U.S. troops in the ground. There was a few thousand, as many as 10,000 uh, allied troops there. And when you add civilians in, we could have we, we lost on a scale of, of tens of thousands of civilians had Taliban, because they had the weapon systems, elected to kill them. And, and, and this is the same Taliban that, has, that, you know, that was complicit with 9-11, you know, and hangs journalists you know, out the side of a Black Hawk helicopter. And by the way, keep in mind, they have all our equipment. Not all of it, but they have uh, $40 million worth of equipment. They're probably one of the, if they know how to work this stuff, uh, one of the most well-equipped armies. And they're really basically a terrorist group that can't even control what's left of their country. So, Congressman, if people want to support your quest to, to be uh, the next congressman from the first ever second district of Montana, where do they go? Well, I go to RyanZinke.com. You know, in, in, the, in the fight for freedom, the fight for a country, these these races are national now. It doesn't really matter whether you're running from you know, Montana or Ohio. You know, two things. One is it's fixable. Uh, America's fixable, but we're going to have to rise as red, white, and blue, and it's going to take an enormous amount of leadership to restore the trust uh, with the government. And the House of Representatives this cycle – can look inside the budget, do what's right, hard work, and then form a narrative of where we're going to take this country, and I believe we can. All right. Go get them, Congressman uh, and Mr. Secretary. Ryan Zicke, thanks. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you in New York, Brian, again. Absolutely. Ryan Zicke, thank you. Um, we did a lot of great things. We went to the back of Mount Rushmore together and went to the top and to the torch of the Statue of Liberty because he had the keys to the country. I hope he gets him back. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls and to find out if you indeed want to know more. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to The View. And yes... I am back. And we missed you. And I missed you all, too. i got to tell you, there's something kind of marvelous about being on a show like this. We are The View, and this is what we do. And sometimes we don't do it as elegantly as we could. Okay. And sometimes, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> I want to thank everybody who reached out while I was away. And I'm telling you, people reached out from places that made me go, wait, wait, what? Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it was amazing. And I listened to everything everybody had to say, and I was very grateful. And I hope it keeps all the important conversations happening, because we're going to Keep having tough conversations. All right. Whoopi Goldberg is back. It makes me wonder if I need to know more. More to know. She didn't get two weeks off. She missed eight episodes. That's enough. Seemed upbeat. Thought she was going to quit. So she is back on action. So I don't know. This show keeps making news by saying crazy things. You never say to yourself, I heard the view today and I'm smarter. Those are things that we never hear. Am I correct? That's the only reason why 
you should tune into this show because this is where you get smarter, especially after if you do watch The View, you need, you need some intelligence. Exactly. Next, Sunday Super Bowl and its halftime show saw significant increases in viewership. Uh, they said 36 million uh, households, more than one in four U.S. households watched this year's game across streaming platforms, up 12% in household viewers from last year. Halftime show to 29 million, up 19% from the year before. Doesn't surprise me. Last year, people were staying back. There was no hoopla because yeah, of the no whole pandemic. Yeah, no real fans at the, at, the, at the big event either. Everything was just self-contained. Now, fans are back, and that's it. It's Odell Beckham believed to have suffered an ACL tear in the Super Bowl. That's not good. Testing on his star's left knee appears to show he shredded it. I think he's a free agent this year. The injury can mean Beckham will have to sit out an entire 2022 season. He'll be 33, 34 years old. That's tough. Yeah, he's, I mean, especially taking a year off and then get back into shape. Yep. China basher Enos Cantor Freedom gets traded, then waived by the Houston Rockets. Is it a coincidence? Freedom's appearance on the court this season has been scarce. Some fans and supporters speculating this anti-China stance has something to do with it. Uh, Cantor Freedom is there at 11.7 minutes. He's an offensive force, big body, could definitely help someone down the stretch. I cannot believe that he won't be picked up. I hope indeed he is. Yeah, and, and Houston is not a great team anyway, so not playing for anything. Why not just use him, put him out there? Next, the Daily Show, uh, Daily Show's Trevor Noah, most overrated comedian in the history of man, sells out huge theaters, so I guess I'm in the minority, will host the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I usually get to go to this. It'll be taking place April 3rd. I don't even know if I want to go. I think we've taken three years off. The president doesn't show up anymore. I wonder if Joe Biden will show up. Yeah, he, I'm sure I'm sure he will, and then Trevor Noah will just fawn over him, and that'll be the end of it. All right, so listen, make sure you watch One Nation Saturdays at 8 o'clock and then 11 o'clock, both times Eastern time. Watch Fox and Friends, and always keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show, where you can always get the podcast. Anywhere you get podcasts, get this one, especially if you can't hear it live. A lot of times people want to hear it again. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.